Spend the night at Camp Max with your class. A unique and fun overnight experience at AFL Max Adelaide. For more information, check out aflmax.com.au. Hi, listeners. Pods here. Welcome back to Max Mentors. Here we are trying to connect grassroots coaches to people that have got professional experience. We're up to episode five. Max Mentors is here to give our community and aspiring coaches an insight into what different coaches do at the elite level and then how it can be applied to grassroots level. I've said this a few times, but we know that the coach is the most influential person in any player's sporting life, junior, senior, or even senior, senior. So hopefully the learnings that you're getting from our Max Mentors will help you take your coaching to the next level and assist in developing and engaging your players. Please keep sending through your feedback. We're loving getting it. Any ideas on other mentors that you'd like us to interview and also any other topics that you'd like us to cover. So we're loving hearing from you. Info at aflmax.com.au is our email. Don't be shy. Now, on to today's guest, Tarkin Lockyer. Tarks was recently appointed as the NAB AFL National Talent Head Coach, a role that you'll find out he's really looking forward to, but he's hardly had a chance to get his feet under the desk due to COVID-19. Obviously, the AFL has been hit pretty hard during the shutdown, but also all the other pathway networks around Australia have also been sort of indifferently shut down. So he's found it a real challenge getting going in his new role. I feel that Tarkin is one of the more mature and considered thinkers you'll come across within the AFL industry. Listening to his story and doing a bit of research before the interview, clearly he's a product of his upbringing and his journey to play elite level football. His playing career saw him vice captain and play over 200 games at arguably the biggest club in the land at Collingwood. Not bad for a player that was picked 39 in the rookie draft. I hear all the sayings about preparation and passion and that they are the keys to success. Now, if that's genuinely true, I believe that Tarkin has a bright future in coaching. Okay, I say this every episode, but there's coaching gems here at Max Mentors. So let's get your notepads ready and get stuck into my chat with Tarkin Lockyer. Tarks, uh, thanks for joining us. But uh, a bit of a background first. So grew up in um, Albany, WA. Um, played for East Fremantle uh, in the Colts and maybe played a couple of games in the reserves at the same at that same time. Uh, and then got picked up uh, through the rookie draft, pick 39 at Collingwood in 1997. And we sort of just got talking then, looking at your um, your footy CV, how the hell you got through to pick 39 in the rookie draft. Um, it's sort of beggar's belief now, but um, there's been a lot of good players, I suppose, that have been um, yeah made from the rookie draft, which is great. So um, you're all probably... One of the picks, the, the top sort of 10 picks, I reckon, definitely. Um, your debut in 99 um, versus Fremantle. Uh, in, 2000 and, in 2000, you actually won the best and fairest at Collingwood minus Nathan Buckley. So um, that was, uh, you, you, you run up. But basically in that time, uh, as we joked earlier, it's basically a win. So uh, pretty amazing effort when you're only probably 20 years old. Uh, even less, maybe even 19. And then um, at, in 2001, 2002, you became the vice captain of the biggest club in the land. Um, so you've gone from, you know, Colts, WA, through to rookie list into uh, vice captaincy at the biggest club. So that was a, a massive achievement. And I can sort of see um, why you've probably chosen coaching uh, in that little um, yeah, part of your life, just going through those that bit of adversity and, and getting to the top relatively quickly, but uh, I know a lot of hard work would have gone into it. Uh, played in the 2002 grand final. Uh, you missed the 2003 grand final. So 
uh, with an ACL. Uh, I'm sure that uh, that resilience has probably helped your coaching as well. Uh, you finished up in 2010, uh, turned 27 games. You kicked a lot of goals for a halfback midfielder, just quietly, 150 <laughs> odd goals. Um, you know, coming off the back line uh, back in the uh, early 2000s, kicking goals was always a good sight to see um, if you're a Collingwood supporter. And then you went straight into coaching uh, off the back of playing and you, you basically coached your own team straight away, uh, coached the VFL team in 2011. You then spent nine years um, in coaching at Collingwood, um, coaching the VFL in development. You were head of the um, Collingwood, I don't want to get this wrong, mate, but basically the Development Academy or the Development Program at, at Collingwood. Yep. Um, over that time as well, um, just recently you got appointed the uh, the national talent head coach um, at the AFL, which is a, a massive achievement and a really important role. And uh, then the world blew up, um, just as you uh, got your feet under the desk. And uh, I'm sure you're itching like every other coach that's here tonight with us to uh, oh. to to get the clipboard back out and the whistle around your neck. But um, yeah, it's been a bit of a tough year for a lot of people, and, and no doubt your uh, your um, Pretty keen to get back into coaching, even though you're probably dabbling in it a little bit. Um, Family-wise, just quickly as well, just so everyone knows, uh, wife Benita, um, son Charlie, daughter Lenny, and daughter Ruby. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you've been with Benita for a long time, even when I knew in terms of... <laughs> Some would say too long. No, she... Um, no, very, very lucky. Very lucky man, as right. we were. Um, so I'll just mention as well, throughout the night, um, we've got a list of questions. Some have been sent in from um, some of the coaches out there already, but um, we've had a, a – you're a pretty popular bloke, by the way, Tux. We've had the most <laughs> registered users, registered coaches for this particular um, webinar, so looking forward to getting stuck in. If you've got any questions, coaches out there, just jump in the, into the chat or the Q&A. We'll try and get to them. Uh, I've got a list here already, but um, let's get underway. So, Mate, you've done a lot of research and – Jeez, you dug deep, so I love it. That's great. Well, nah, thanks, thanks, Tarks. But uh, as I said earlier, mate, I do recall um, my year I spent at Collingwood on the rookie list, and you were vice captain at the time. I just remember you were the most professional, diligent um, worker going around. So the success you achieved as a player, um, no doubt, came from um, hard work and, and a bit of resilience and, and uh, maturity, I reckon, which is probably uh, something that's one of your strengths. Um, now, enough about you. In terms of pumping you up, but um, so you obviously played footy as a kid. Yeah. Why was, uh, and this is the questions I ask all our guests with Max Mentors, just to get a bit of a feel on why was it footy for you? Um, yeah, as you as you mentioned in the in the bio piece, I grew up in country Western Australia, and it wasn't a a huge uh, amount of. Uh, opportunities or, or variances in, in sports. So there was pretty much during winter there was there was footy or, or soccer, and I chose I chose footy. Funnily enough, my school was a really strong soccer school, and uh, I was only one of uh, one of a handful of kids that, that played footy at, at my primary school, and then progressed from there. But picked up a footy from a pretty young age. When I sort of started playing, sort of playing footy, that's when West Coast sort of started in the AFL, VFL competition back in the day. Yep, and yep. one of my one of my uncles actually was one of the, the founding Eagles. So the I suppose the footy was pretty strong in, in my family and there was that family connection as well to, to the VFL. So, um, you know, I, I really took an interest in and probably from the moment that I picked up a footy, I probably didn't have one out of my hands when I was a kid. 
to the detriment of my schooling in, in some regard, but just absolutely loved everything about footy and just wanted to play and enjoy the game and just loved, you know, just, just loved playing. So uh, it was certainly something that, yeah, I just took up pretty much all of my spare time. Uh, lived on a lived on a farm when I in in Albany, um, and and that was about around the age of sort of ten when you you're really finding finding yourself and finding what it is you're, you're passionate about, and um, there wasn't a hell of a lot else to do on the farm. So I remember having a couple of trees, you know, cut down trees and stuck them up as goalposts, and would be out there for hours commentating commentating the footy, and I was <laughs> main wearing and Matera and camp, and every every time I missed a goal, I was Sumich and it was just uh, it was just a good good time, um, you know, great memories, and and um, that sort of grounded or started my um, my my love for the game. So yeah, do you remember um, what actually made you happy? I mean, we've got a lot of coaches here that are coaching underage kids, and we sort of um, sometimes as coaches we might take the uh, the wins and losses a little bit um, to heart, but um, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, we're these kids are playing sport for a reason. Do you remember what made you happy about playing football? Um, look, I was always I was always really competitive, and I just loved to win, and I always just wanted to be the best. So, regardless of what age group I was playing, you know, and I, when you're in the country, and particularly in WA, often in the underage comps, like I, I had to play above above my age group, so I ended up playing against you know, teenagers and men when I shouldn't have. And I was always, I was always quite small. And, um, you know, I just wanted to, I just wanted to be the best um, or, or the best that I could be. So that really drove me. Um, and, you know, I was really lucky that my parents gave me great opportunities that it didn't matter. Uh, we live four, four and a half hour drive away from Perth. You know, I'd get invited up to go and play Colts up in, up in the, in the city or go and play in one of the rep sides and they'd without any any um any qualms they'd they'd happily drive me up and and spend that time with me so I had really really good support around me and um and they gave me the best opportunity that I could. Just talking about um straight into coaching now mate like if you're if you're one of those kids or or athletes that loves winning and wants to get the best out of themselves, how have you dealt um with players that potentially you see coming to the system that have got all this talent um, and aren't as sort of competitive or um, motivated as someone like yourself. Yeah, look, I to be honest, I, I struggled, really struggled with that as a player. And as as you mentioned before, like I I wasn't the highest draft pick and had to work really really hard on my game to um, to get everything that I that I got in footy. And I couldn't I couldn't sort of understand why people would get an opportunity in an AFL club and wouldn't make the most of it. I really battled. I really battled that, particularly early in my career, and then through experience, I suppose you, um, and and through interest, you just get to understand that people are different, and they're 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 driven by by different mechanisms. And so, what? Uh, and, and then with the coaching, when I jumped into coaching, so I jumped straight out of, uh, and, and this was a really a really good lesson to learn. I jumped straight out of playing into coaching a group of players that I just played with, and. Um, whether it was, you know, because I am so competitive and, and whether, um, you know, I missed out on that 2010 grand final in, in playing but was a, was a part of the group that, that got there um, and having and then having to jump into coaching, I had to make a really a, a conscious, consciously sort of tried to 
draw a line in the sand to say I'm no longer a, a player, I'm, I'm now a coach and try to put that distance between myself and the playing group. Now, the lesson that I learned really early on was I was still heavily, you know, heavily driven, um, ultra competitive and we had a group of players, a younger group of players, as, as you do, you, you win the premiership and your next round of draft picks are the last, last pick in every round. And we had a heap of guys retire that year, obviously myself, Shane O'Bree, Josh Fraser, um, Simon Prestigiacomo, and there was like a, and a, and a few others, Paul Medhurst left and, and there was a few others. So we were such a young group playing in the VFL and it, and it really, um, it really shaped me as a coach. Now I, I learned some horrible, not horrible lessons, but I learned some valuable lessons early on. I had some really strong people around me who were able to give me unbelievable advice. So people like Jeff Walsh and um, Craig McRae, who was the head of development at the time were fantastic sounding boards for me and were, were so um, honest and open in their feedback and Walshy in particular, I remember one day he sort of pulled me aside and I was getting really frustrated with not winning and um, you could just sort of, I suppose everyone around me could just sort of feel or, or sense the, the frustration that I had and he just sort of said, look, the person who you were as a player is not necessarily going to be successful as a coach. Um, you can't expect to be, you know, that driven and that hard on people and um, and you need to just appreciate that some people take take longer than others to develop. So, um, you know, having having those wise wise people around you and people with experience that can actually put things back into perspective was a really important lesson for me. And then to actually see the bigger picture and actually understand, well, yeah, I'm not I'm young uh, as a as a coach. I'm young and I'm developing, and um, and you have to have you have to have that in you as well. Um, you know, you can you can want to develop and want to get better, and you, or you can just think that you know it all and, and this is the way that I'm going to coach and I'm going to do it this way. But I was really open-minded and, and tried to take on a lot of a lot of the feedback that I'd had and uh, and I definitely developed as a coach and absolutely the coach that I am now is completely different to the coach that I was back then, um, you know, which is just a natural, a natural evolution. But I'm certainly one of those people who tries to um, adapt and, and tries to get better and, and uses... Um, every day is an opportunity to, to try and improve myself. So we'll, we'll try and um, actively, you know, attend coaching conferences. I don't care what the conference is or what level it's aimed at um, or, you know, podcasts or anyone that I can talk to um, because there's an opportunity to learn and there's an opportunity to get better. So, and then, you know, if you go to, if you do go to these conferences or talk to people or whatever, and you, you know, if you learn one thing, that's fantastic. You know, it's something new, a new idea, a different way of doing things. But if you don't, you just validate your own thoughts. Well, that's great as well. So, um, yeah, I really try and, and live that every day because that's what I ask for my players, try and have an open mind and try and find an opportunity to be better every day. Yeah, you said it's sort of natural, but um, the reality is a lot of coaches actually find it hard to change and find it hard to grow or even people in general, whether it's yeah. is or people in business, you know, whoever they are, actually it's it probably is not natural. So have, have that kind of mindset. Um, yeah, yeah. and I think... I think the other part on that is um, is having the relationships with the people around you that you can be honest with each other, yep. and um, you know everyone talks about honest conversations and authenticity and that sort of stuff. But being um, when when you develop strong relationships, particularly with the people around you and the pe- the people that you, and that's why this mentor sort of program is, is such a good idea. 
um, when you've got those mentors, they just they know how to ask the right questions and they know how to um, guide any individual in a, in a certain way. And it's met with a with a healthy respect. And um, certainly for the people that I've dealt with, there's there's questions that are asked or there's um, advice that's given that challenges the norm. Because if you don't if you don't receive any feedback or you don't have anyone who's telling you you're doing a good job or, a bad, or a, you know, or you can improve here or if you don't have that, you just naturally fall back to what you think is right. Um, and, and often, uh, particularly, you know, coaches, players are exactly the same. If it, you'll just keep making the same mistakes because you think you're doing the right thing. Um, whereas it, it, it may just take, you know, someone to, to pull on your coattails one day and just say, hey, have you thought about doing this or have you noticed that that or, yeah, so there's plenty of different ways to do it. It's just... Um, Having, having that available to you. So on coaching, um, the question is around, you know, why was coaching for you? If you, you go back to your history, I mean, um, 21 years at um, Australia's biggest club, you're there obviously for a reason and, you know, you're highly respected, I know, internally and, um, yeah, people, you know, the club would want you around. But why was, was coaching something that you chose to do? I, I think my passion for coaching was, was born out of, being a part of leadership groups and having an understanding, having an understanding of maybe the legacy that I wanted to leave on people. And that probably gets born from my early dealings at, at a footy club or at, at Collingwood in, in particular. I I formed really strong friendships with a lot of the older guys sort of straight away. And they you know, I'm talking about sort of Nathan Buckley and Scott Burns and um, and even gravitated towards sort of Gavin Brown and, and Gav Krasiski guys were right at the end of their careers, but gravitated towards those guys. And so when I was a young player and you have you have these more experienced players putting time into you and guiding you and showing you how to train, um, just giving you little tips here and there, I, there's no doubt that that helped me along the way to, to whatever success I, I got. So then it's about what's the legacy piece and, and how can I help to do that on the younger players as they're coming through to, you know, when I'm an experienced player. So really sort of took an interest in, in younger guys and, and whether it's one or two players every year that you take under your wing and, and sort of almost act like a big brother to them in some regards. But then there's the natural sort of evolution into coaching from there. So I think when you start to work with particularly younger players and, and in that development space is you put your time into someone and you see them grow and you, you see how much they love the interactions that you have and you feel like you're helpful, well, that's coaching. Um, you know, trying to guide and help and, and the pleasure that you get from seeing people improve is is why we do what we do. So, yeah, that's probably where it, where it originated from. Yeah, great. And, then, and, and now it's all-encompassing. <laughs> I yeah. just, you know, I, 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 love, I love coaching. I love working with younger players. I love developing talent and I, and I really see it as, um, you know, it, it's my passion at the moment outside of my family. There's nothing else that I'm as, as passionate about. So having the ability to influence people and having the, the ability to um, to shape future, you know, future stars hopefully is um, is something that I love doing. Yeah, fantastic, Tark. Thanks for being so open. Um, before we move on to sort of tonight's, um, topic which is around fundamentals and I'm, I'm, I can't wait to sort of hear your thoughts around or your philosophies around that but um, I've got a question here we've always got a a lot of dads listening mums as well that coach yeah. their sons or daughters so um, has being a dad 
helped your coaching, hindered it? What did you learn from being a dad? Probably a little bit of both. Um, yeah. Oh, there's no doubt, and I'm sure everyone everyone knows this. The, the hardest the hardest athletes to coach are your kids. Now, whether that's because you know them more intimately than than your other athletes, or you're more invested in their in their development, I'm I'm not too sure. But absolutely, for my kids, it's and and my kids were all completely different. So they're three completely different personalities and different skill sets and all that sort of stuff. So, look, does it help? Does it help my coaching? I think it. I think it does, and I think my coaching helps me be a better parent. So it doesn't just work one way. I think one of the things that coaching has taught me is the uh, the power of language and the simplicity of messaging and the art of questioning as well. So when you're, whether it's helping with homework or helping with footy or basketball or what, whatever it is, um, when, when your kids are um, finding challenges in life is is just being able to have a have a different perspective potentially and being able to use a couple of different um different tools to maybe get a, a different outcome so um there's no doubt both of them help each other um but yeah there's absolutely no doubt that your kids are your hardest ones to coach <laughs> <laughs> uh that's great hey um i want to touch on the word simplicity which you just mentioned then but let's just talk about um when, when we say the word fundamentals of the game, um, what are the first things that come to your mind and, and um, in terms of whether it's skills or uh, yeah. tools that players need? So talk to me about fundamentals in, in your mind. Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really open-ended sort of question when you start talking about fundamentals. And we got all night, mate. Yeah, people, I suppose what everyone, where everyone sort of goes um, when you start talking about coaching and skill and all that sort of stuff is what are the best what do the best players do and why? what separates the, the best players with the absolute elite players from the rest? And, and often my response to that is there's no, there's no sort of magic fairy dust. There's no magic wand. I think that the thing that the absolute best players do better than anyone else is they just do the basics. They do the basics unbelievably well, which allows them to do the other stuff. So I'm talking about, um, you know, they don't fumble. You know, you look at the absolute best midfielders, they don't fumble the ball. So what does that what does that allow you to do? Well, it gives you space and it gives you time because you've got the ball in your hands and you're ready to, to distribute sort of straight away. So you can make better decisions because you're cleaner with your hands. Or, um, you know, fundamentals are, or, or basics are, are all the rest of it as well. They're the stuff that are, are outside the game. They turn up on time. They eat the right food. They, they sleep well. They prepare well. So there's no secret that... Um, you know they turn up and play well. I've always, I've always sort of said that the the best players are the best trainers. Um, there's there's not too many that I've seen who are absolute elite players that don't train elite. So there is no secret because when you get and we're talking about the AFL in some regard is everyone that makes it in the AFL has got talent. They can all they've all got unbelievable abilities. But what separates and that talent gets you a foot in the door, but what keeps you there and what keeps you at the top is your willingness to work and your willingness to do more than the next guy and your willingness to go above and beyond to get the best out of your career. So that's what the absolute best players do. Now, for the fundamentals, I suppose where that comes back to is sort of reading and having a think about talking to, to junior coaches in particular is the fundamentals change depending on your age group. 
And so when you're talking about kids that are, um, say, around that Auskick age, the fundamentals are just having, like having fun and learning to, to handle the ball and, and, and learning the, the simple mechanics of, say, kicking, whereas once you transition to sort of around sort of nine or ten years of age, that's when you, you start to have a think about, okay, well, it, kicking absolutely is very important and ground balls and handball and all that sort of stuff. And then as you progress through further than that from sort of 13 to, to 17 is about, okay, really embedding um, strong uh, mechanics in everything that you do, being able to handball, you know, left and right hand, being able to kick left and right foot, um, being really sound at, at, a, at a lot of the skills, but then having the ability to incorporate decision-making and having the ability to do it under fatigue because that's what the game's going to ask. So, um, yeah, the fundamentals, you could, like I said, you can talk about it for, for hours, but, um, yeah, it really is specifically to do with the, the, the age group, I think, or, or the, the level of experience or where your athletes are at, being able to tailor and what's suitable for that particular group or individual, I think, is yeah. important. So think back to when you were... Um, that sort of makes sense. <laughs> no, no, it does. Yeah, and I think um, you were about simplicity. This is, a, this is a complex game and coaching is a yeah. complex um, beast too. So Sometimes <laughs> you make it a little bit more complex than it needs to be. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, no. That's, that's the reality of the game we're in really. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's not a 2D game. It's you know, yeah. 60, 80, all that sort of stuff. But in terms of you going back and um, developing these programs at Collingwood as, you know, um, the head of the academy and, and working yep. with these one to four-year players, um, do you sort of go, well, these are my beliefs in fundamentals and sort of reverse engineer your program around a cool things? Because fundamentals, as you said, it could be a lot of things. But yeah. how do you hone in in that, in that different yeah. just go, we're just going to get this right for the next... That's a that's, that's a really good question, and I and I think sort of the last part of my answer, talking about the individuals, is a really important part to consider, because um, where where it all sort of fits into, and where um, programming or prescription of uh, of 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 programs, where where it all sort of meet, meets itself is. Um, Finding an idea, and this is what this is what I firmly believe in, is finding finding out what people are good at. So, what are your strengths and what are your what are your vulnerabilities? But ultimately, what are you good at? What skills do you possess? So, um, you know, I, whether it's kicking, handball, marking, speed, whatever it is, and then okay, well, what's what's the position that you play, and what does that position ask of you? Um, so, you know, if you're playing as a as a key forward, where you need to be able to mark the ball, kick goals, and um, and you need to be able to kick the ball, really. Whereas a, um, a half-back, you need to be able to um, repeat speed run, kick the ball, ground balls, tackle. And nowadays, you need to make really good decisions with your hands. So they're, they're two completely different skill sets. Now, where do the fundamentals come in? So I, when I'm working with players, is try to identify, well, what's the, what's the role that you play? And let's work on the things that are important for that role. Um, and, then, and then that gives you, like I sort of said around the, the clarity piece, it actually sort of narrows the narrows your focus on what you need to put your time and your energy into because um as an example like a a a, a key defender working on sort of handballs and contested ball in traffic well you don't you don't get a lot of that so you you're not wasting your time but could your time um could you put more energy into something that makes you a little bit more effective is a is a question that I would ask but they um but then you know for, particularly for for junior players 
is is having a, a well-rounded program so you actually get exposure to all of them but you know what percentage what percentage of time do you put into each would be a good question to ask I think. yeah so this now looking uh, at your at your current role um, yeah. with the AFL and you're working with the uh, the elite talent um, in the under age system yeah. is it a similar approach to what you had at Collingwood or is it more sort of that well-rounded sort of fundamentals approach where you're actually honing into position stuff yeah look it's uh, it, it's probably it's probably more around uh, it's definitely more around the skills of the game rather than game plan if, yeah. if it makes it so if, if you've got you know one or the other I, I think we in particularly in the in the junior programs let's let's coach skills and let let the game plan all that sort of stuff if they, if they're lucky enough to get drafted well the AFL guys can look after the game plan and the gameplay let's try and make the players as good as they can be at the skills of the game to showcase the best, you know, like I said, showcase your skills and showcase the best talent that we can we can show because ultimately that's what's going to get them in the door. It's, yes, compliance, the structure and all that sort of stuff is, is one part of it, but um, guys get drafted on what they do well. They get, they get a foot in the door because of something they do unbelievably well. Like I said, they either kick or mark or handball or speed or there's something that they do really well that clubs just go, you know what, we need to have that guy. So um, that's, my, that's my sort of philosophy on coaching junior, junior talent in, in, the, in the elite pathway. Um, but then, and, and then at the same time, there's another part in, in, my, um, in my role that says, well, we need to actually prepare these guys for AFL football. So what are the experiences? What are the um, procedures? What are the programs that we're putting in place so that um, when... Um, I'm trying to think of a good example of the draft. When when um, use Isaac Quainer um, walks into walks into Collingwood, well, he's really familiar. He he, there's not a huge gap between what he's been asked to do in, in the NAB League compared to what the AFL is asking. Now that gap is massive. We know that, but is there an opportunity to still showcase and still expose these guys to experiences that they are likely to get in the AFL? Uh, because that's very very important for their development. And for the transition from junior footy into the into the elite competition, go off our questions just quickly, just a little bit. How are you actually doing that now with the current environment that we're in? With, yeah. with COVID? Well, almost impossible. Yeah, absolutely, almost. Yeah. So look, the difficulty at the moment is that there's so much inconsistency in what people are and aren't allowed uh, aren't allowed to do. So yeah, um, in in the Sandful, as an example, they're playing a full season. They're playing sort of 14, 14 rounds and then finals. WA is playing, I think maybe 10, um, Vic Metro and, and are obviously in heavy lockdown at the moment. Um, Vic Country are in stage three and Queensland and New South Wales, New South Wales competitions have been cancelled. So, look, it really is inconsistent at the moment, uh, but that's just, that's just the world we live in. Um, hopefully I can do another one of these podcasts in 12 months, mate, and I'll give you a really clear answer. I'll definitely have you it, back. It, it really is difficult and everyone, as we know, everyone's under an ex- extraordinary amount of pressure and stress uh, we've we're certainly trying to support our athletes and our coaches and our staff as much as we can but it is an absolute challenge we know that thanks for listening and we hope you're enjoying this episode of max mentors we'll be right back after this short message from our partner raise money for your club at afl max the more your players party train and learn at afl max the more money you'll raise for more information go to aflmax.com.au I might just 
have a quick shout out to everyone that's listening from Melbourne or Victoria or tuning in tonight. We're uh, we're feeling for you. I live in Victoria, so there's um, so there's talk. So we understand what everyone's going through. With, um, a quick shout out, and I'm sure we'll get through it um, relatively soon. Hey, um, let's just back on to footy. Sorry. Yeah. Um, in terms of just think back to some players that you've worked with, work with the pies that might have come in. We'll talk a, a, about a specific skill in kicking. I know yeah. you were really um, yeah, prestigious, uh, prestigious? What's the word I'm looking for? Um, precise kick. Yeah. <laughs> a long day. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, English is my second language too, which doesn't help me. But um, you're really precise kick, uh, you know, when you played AFL. But talk about, uh, if you can talk about a story or a, or a play that you work with that came through, wasn't a great kick, but you say you worked with their fundamentals of kicking and, and uh, they, you know, they became a good kick, okay kick, great kick at the AFL. Have you got an example? Uh, not, uh, that's, a, that's a really difficult question to answer. Look, the, the way that AFL programs are set up, and obviously I can only really comment on what it was like at Collingwood. I'm not sure if they still have the same sort of program, but we would, we would dedicate a significant amount of time every week to work on, as you're sort of talking about, the, fun, the fundamentals of the game. So like I said before, identifying obviously the, the roles that people play and then mapping, mapping that against what their strengths and weaknesses are and then actually getting to work on what are the important areas of their game that need to that they need to work on to make them better on a weekend? So, I was actually in charge of putting together all of those all of those programs. And at Collingwood, like I said, I'm not sure if they if they continue to do this, but we actually dedicated one whole day every week from the start of pre season for individual development. So, as you can imagine, in an AFL program, it's it's a very very hectic schedule, and for for the coaching staff and for the um, and the support staff, medical and um, and high performance, to put that much emphasis into individual development, I think is a huge credit to the to those people. And what it showed to the players is that how invested everyone was in their own personal development. So, what we were able to do when you when you start to put those sort of programs together and you put that much time into it was we were able to get absolutely specific. And this is this is, I think, the difference between um, potentially where fundamentals. How, how do you do fundamentals? Because people talk about it all the time. But the I think the the devil's in the detail. Is how do you actually come up with drills and and make them abs, absolutely specific to the role that people are going to play? So w- where I say that is, uh, and, and an example that I often use is say ground balls. So. Ground balls for a, uh, say for a, a wingman, are going to be, you know, they're either sitting off a pack or just outside of a, of a contest and the ground ball often just flips out, um, rolling towards them, they have to go and meet off a, off a couple of steps, whereas a ground ball for a small defender is often the one that sort of falls over the back of a pack inside 50 that's rolling towards goal or the boundary line and they've got pressure coming from behind them. If they fumble it or they miss it, it's generally a goal against. So there's high pressure in that. Now, they're two completely different ground balls, um, but they are absolutely specific for the role that these guys need to play. So, um, and, and coaches often ask me, you know, have you got any, you know, what? tell us about the drills that you've got or, or that sort of stuff. And people will be astounded at how simple they are. But because they're so specific, 
they actually are so meaningful to the player and that's where you get your improvement. So being able to actually spend that little bit of time to say, okay, so when we're, when we're doing ground balls for the backs, we need to put them in, in this position. Whereas if we're taking a group of midfielders or a group of women away, well, the ground ball drill needs to look completely different because that's what they're going to get in the game. So I think, and that's a long way of not answering your question, but no. I think that is... And there's numerous examples of that, and I think that's where programs can be run really successfully is finding and and my philosophy on on coaching, this is where my philosophy comes in, is around purpose. Like every time you're going to fill some time or do something with players, there's got to be a purpose to it. What What are we trying to teach? What are we trying to coach? And what's the best way to achieve that? There's plenty of different ways you can do it, but what are we doing? Because if... Um, you know, if you've got 10 minutes in, in a one hour, you know, particularly junior coach, you get one hour a week with your, with your kids to train, well, let's not waste 10 minutes on something that doesn't, doesn't apply to the way we want to play. So finding, finding that I think is really important. You just actually answered one of the questions in the chat here too from Daryl. So uh, I think it'll be probably, yeah, <laughs> a lot of you can see that. So um, there you go. Thanks for that question, Daryl. Um, actually in the, in the chat, there's a, there's a good question here around, um, I think it's from Liam. Uh, he's actually quite vulnerable here, but he talks about how he struggles explaining drills to players sometimes. Is there any uh, steps or recommendations you can sort of give him to, to make it easier? For, yeah, uh, for yeah. It, it, is, it is actually quite hard, and particularly for inexperienced coaches. And, or if you, if you become a coach at an, at an, in an elevated pathway, so you can, you can sort of get flustered or you can get overawed or... Um, often there's pressure or if you're an assistant coach and the senior coach is sort of looking over your shoulder, you can often feel that little bit of anxiety. Uh, I, I try and, like I sort of said at the, at the start, I, I just try and keep it really simple. So if there's, I, I try and keep it to a rule, to a rule of three, I, I, no more than three messages. And the reason that I say that is because I'm not smart enough to remember anymore. So um, A, I'm going to confuse myself and I'd like to think that in, in a drill or in a session or when I'm addressing players, if there's any more than three, well, it's, I sort of think, well, it's not really as important. I'd rather get A, B and C right before I worry about D, E and F. Um, you know, let's, let's get the, the first couple of things right before we move on to the next because they're the important ones. We need to get the, the fundamentals or the basic stuff done really well before we can worry about the fluffy stuff afterwards. Yeah, and the reality of it is players at quarter time, half time at training, their heart rate's sitting at 150 <laughs> Hundred, they're sweating. They've got adrenaline running through their body. They've made a mistake. They remember it, you know, whatever it is. So they're not going to remember more than probably two or three things that you actually do tell yeah, them. So. And, and, and that's the same thing. So when you when you're coaching, uh, and, and you'd like to think in the AFL, you, you're coaching highly intelligent athletes. Um, oft, often, when you're talking to, to kids in particular, teenagers or, or younger than that, your attention spans about ten seconds. So if you start to waffle on any longer than that, um, really, you're only talking to yourself. So um, keep it short, keep it punchy, and yeah, that, that's how I, I try and coach. Anyways, trying to trying to keep it really simple because I'll just confuse myself more than anything. Yeah, uh, yeah, good answer, mate. Thank you. Um, simplicity <laughs> keeps coming back to that. So, um, yeah. a big takeout point. Um, in terms of uh, we had a, this question came through during the week, and I can't remember who it came through from, but it was around um, you know training structures for under 18s and under 16s. Um, how does it change from, you know, pre-season or start of the season through to the end of the season? Like, do you have any advice from some coaches there on how you would actually structure a, a session differently? Yeah, that's a, that's a really difficult question to answer. 
I think in any in any in any program that I would put to put together, I would I would always have some sort of some sort of structure around what it would look like as far as what percentage of time am I going to devote to fundamentals or to, to, to craft or to basics? What what percentage of time am I going to devote to gameplay? And in that sort of gameplay, what are what do I want to work on? What do I want to focus on and what do I want to get out of it? Once again, it's that clarity. What do I need to excuse me, what do I need to work on and how am I going to achieve that? So you could you could play a little handball game or you could play a little kicking game or something like that and coach it two completely different ways. So one day you can one day you can just coach the offense. Let's just only talk about offense and just talk about how we handball or how we kick or how we want to move the ball or where people should position. You could do the exact same drill the next week, but you can only talk about the defense. So go and talk about okay, well, where are we trying to defend from? How was our tackling? How's our positioning? Where are we communicating? Um, so I think that goes for any session, regardless of whether you're 16s or 18s or whether you're um, coaching kids or adults or whatever it is, is, is trying to, once again, trying to have an understanding of what are we trying to achieve and then work backwards from there. I think if you, if you know what you want to get out and you know what the end point is going to look like, it becomes really easy to put the steps in place from there. So you can project to, project to the end of the session. Okay, so if we get to the end of the session, what do I want to have achieved? And then you can just work back from there. Yep. I think that would be a pretty good start. Now, for pre-season, it's going to be a little bit different to uh, to in-season because in-season, obviously, you got the feedback of how you played on the weekend. So you've either played well or you've played terrible or you've, you've attacked well and you defended badly or there's going to be little things that come out of the week-to-week sort of stuff um, in-season, whereas pre-season, you can, you can block or you can chunk uh, periods together. So if you've got... Four weeks of preseason. One might be one week we do offense. The next week we'll do defense, and the next week we'll do set plays or stoppages. Or so you, the thing that you have in preseason, you get the opportunity just to to plan what you want to do without having the win loss. So that becomes really easy um, during the season. Throws up a few more curveballs, so you might have to think on your feet a little bit. And depending on what you're seeing on a game day, you might want to uh, adapt and change or have to think about something else. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking now, like obviously developing an athlete, developing a footballer, it's, it's really multifaceted. So we talked a lot about fundamentals today, but I just want to get your your take on, you know, the, the impact of fitness levels on fundamentals. And um, do you, have you ever done any work where you're actually fatiguing players and asking them to execute fundamentals? Is that something that you you recommend or? Um, yeah, look, I think it, I think I think it all plays it all plays a part, and absolutely. Like the game of AFL footy is a, is a really hard one to train for, specifically train for, because you've got, um, you know, high speed, repeat high speed, you've got endurance, you've got power, you've got all of these sort of things and, and obviously fatigue by the end of the game. So it's a really difficult game to train for. Now, once again, I, I think it de- it depends on the um, the experience or the age potentially of the of the kid's or the, or the people that you're that you're working with. So, and and once again, you sort of you sort of need to periodize it in in some regard because if you just keep flogging them and, and keep doing stuff under fatigue, well, you, they're just going to be knackered. They're not going to get much out of it. So, I think there's a once again, it's a it's a really difficult question to answer without if if I don't go like into real specifics. But they're absolutely absolutely, and I think this is where. 
I think this is if if I'm talking about how do you how do you train skill, how do you improve skill, what what is the program that we can put together to to maximise skill? And I spoke before about okay um, specifics in where do I play, what am I good at, and what is what is my role ask. That that gives you a really good grounding point to start from. Then the question is, okay, well, how do I get better? So if we keep going with ground balls, how do I actually get better at ground balls? Now, once again, this is my this is my personal belief, but I think it's a staggered it's a staggered approach. So you can you can start as an example of almost walking through and having no intensity at all in your in your drill and saying these are the fundamentals of ground balls. So you know, feet position and body position and hands and all all of that sort of stuff, and you can walk through it. Then you start to layer it, and and as your athletes demonstrate an ability to to execute that skill, then you start to layer it with either speed or um, intensity or pressure or fatigue, because they they're different um, different stresses to to gain a response, to great gain a greater learning, or to gain um, better execution. So. You know, once you once your athletes are able to do it without any pressure, okay. How can I throw a defender in? How can I how can I change the drill to make it a little bit harder to get a different response? Uh, is what I would I would throw. And fatigue is one of those factors. Um, it's not the be all and end all, but it's certainly something. So uh, once again, you know, you go from purely technical into a little bit of intensity into fatigue and then bring it back and, and and then redo it. I think that's how you coach skill. I think that's how you make your, your best um, improvements with skill. Right. Yep, great. Um, last question before we go to the, the chat here. We've only got a couple more minutes, but um, clearly... What's that? It goes quick. Yeah, I know, doesn't it? <laughs> um, it's fascinating. But uh, so obviously a couple of themes, mate, just to... Uh, a bit of a summary before this last question around, you know, you're clearly passionate about uh, or believe a lot in role specificity, you know, working with the individual, working with their strengths. Um, this question is more probably generic. If you've got, um, if you had to give one piece of advice to a talented kid or a kid coming through the pathways um, right now in becoming an AFL player, what what would that be? Uh, I, I think there's one, and I've sort of alluded to it, earlier is I think there's one thing that gets every every player a foot in the door and and every player who, who gets an opportunity in an AFL club uh, it's it's not it's not a strength it's not um, that they're a well-rounded athlete I think it's a weapon I think that they do they do something so like I sort of said before now now lots of players have got more than one weapon but there's always one um, skill or one trait that players possess that AFL clubs just say, you know what, we have to have this kid. We have a, we have a need or we have, um, we have a want and this kid possesses that, we have to have it. And that's what gets you your foot in the door. Now, that might, like I said, that might be kicking, it might be handball, it might be marking, it might be speed, like absolute speed or endurance, just endurance based or ultra professional or whatever it is. But that weapon gets you in the door. Yeah, I firmly believe that. And then once once you're in there, well, that's that's when you get moulded. Um, but that's what I'll, I'll just 
whatever your absolute strength is, keep showing that all the time. And I preach that to my players um, all the time is because the game is a complex game. And you said that, you know, I, I spoke about simplicity. We have a, a strange way of making it more complex than it needs to be. But with everything that's going on, with all the fatigue, with all the, the game plan stuff, with all the offense, defense, structure, whatever it is, come back to what you're good at. You know, if you lose your way in a game, come back to what you're good at. So whether it's uh, for contested contested ball players, you know what? If you don't know what's going on, you don't know where you should be, go and get the ball. Yeah. That's a really good place to start. So, yeah, it's um, – I, I think that's that's the one. is a weapon will get you in the door. Perfect, perfect. Um, for those pathway coaches out there, it's some good advice. Hey, um, we'll get to a couple of these questions in the chat here, mate. I'm not sure what you can see. We've got one from Mark, which is a – a good one, and um, we talk about lower numbers on the ground a fair bit, but um, we're playing nine-a-side um, uh, teams this year. What sort of tactics would you use for smaller numbers of players being on the ground? I reckon I've got one, but you can, you, you go first. Uh, we're playing nine-a-side teams. Nine-a-side, gee whiz, on a full-side one? Modified sort of comp at the moment with the back off the back of COVID. Yeah, okay. Uh, if I was playing nine aside, I'd try and keep possession as much as I could. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one likes defending. Gee whiz, if there's that much space. Yeah, um, I would have been focused on the offense. Yeah, absolutely. I would make it a shootout because yeah. uh, no one likes working when you're in defense. So, look, yeah, that's that's really difficult. God, nine aside. You'd hate to be doing that in WA where the grounds are massive. Yeah. Maybe maybe in Ballarat or something like that where it's heavy track. Be, be, uh, one from Michael, one from Michael here, um, which is, you know, obviously Michael's obviously coaching at the moment. But uh, would you add a conditioning block leading into finals or would you taper off and focus purely on game plan and skills? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that I think my answer to that would be depending on how much time I have with the, with the athletes. So if with any of the, with any of the, the you, you've either got sort of one, two or three sessions a week, yeah, if you've only got one session a week, I would, I would argue that maybe doing a conditioning block that you could use your time better. Or if you want to get conditioning in, is there a way to incorporate skills with conditioning so you can actually you can actually get the best of both worlds in in that regard? But yeah, that it is a a, a difficult conundrum that people face when you walk when you go into finals. What what do we need to do? Do we need to do anything different? Well, there's a reason why you get there sometimes. So um, go back to what you what you know and what you're good at and, and trust and have faith that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, great. Um, this one is a, a question from north of the border here, which we might not ever see again by the looks of it. But um, uh, coaching New South Wales, often kids are taught incorrect fundamentals like kicking, um, they've played rugby, et cetera, uh, no background in AFL. Any advice that, uh, that you can give them on you know, how to get coaches to teach the right fundamentals um, when they have actually difficulty um, actually demonstrating the skill, which is – which is, is a good question. Yeah, yeah. Look, once again, that, that's a, that's a great question, and obviously, obviously, kicking is a is a big one, particularly in the northern in the northern states where they do kick the ball a little bit different. Is a very very generic sort of comment, but um, look, there there are plenty of ways there are plenty of ways to to teach it without being an, an elite kick yourself. There, there's plenty of different ideas that I have, and I like to start. Once again, come back to simplicity. Is only trying to change one thing at a time. So, if it's if it's ball drop, just concentrate on ball drop to start with, um, yeah. and then you can move on from that. So, whether it's hand position or arm position or whatever it is, and then you can work on okay, um, how can we sort of straighten straighten someone up, or how can we get them 
moving in a direction that we need to move them in? It's a really difficult question without being able to demonstrate it. But I, once again, I, I would come back when talking about fundamentals, I would try and, if you're going to try and change someone, change one thing at a time. Because if you change three or four, you might just absolutely destroy them. So, um, yeah, I, I always try and start with really simply just like work on one thing and then we'll move on to the next one. Yeah, great. My one piece of advice for what it's worth around that is if, if coaches that are coaching kids and don't have too much um, ability at the moment, you know, learning yourself as well as a coach is actually a really good thing. So learn to kick out yourself because, you know, repetition, repetition as a coach, you'll pick up some stuff that you learn a certain way and it might help other players too. So, you know, learning yourself. On that one, maybe one thought that comes to mind, like with those, those people that sort of kick around corners, so particularly that rugby kick, they sort of come around corners. Um, potentially what you could do is just line up like line up a heap of cones and um, the res- so without telling them or without actually demonstrating or anything like that, you just put them in a position where they have to kick straighter. So you could do it, at, um, you know, up against a fence or up against a yep. wall or put some sort of object in the way so they can't actually swing their, their leg around. Now, they're going to find that really, really difficult to start with um, and it's going to feel so unnatural for them. But so then without actually telling them and, and instructing them, you let them find their own way and they'll, they'll find a way to, um, to execute. Might be one. Constraint, constraint-based coaching, I think. Yeah, uh, maybe. to that with uh, Rathi a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> hey, um, one more question from the chat before we just move on to the, uh, the quick six, which was oh, uh, around um, going away from fundamentals, which is actually uh, a good question, around giving positive feedback and constructive sort of feedback to, to younger, you know, youth-developing players. How do you sort of manage that? And Yeah, I love I. Oh, I love telling people when they're doing a good job. Yeah. Absolutely love yeah. It. And I think there's, you know what, you just got to be honest. You really do. you just got to be honest because you, people smell, People can tell when you, you're just making stuff up. So just just be honest. Now, sometimes that's that's really, if you, if you find that you're working with a player that's really struggling, really struggling to find a concept or, or get a, a breakthrough in, in performance or some sort of skill, sometimes that can be really difficult. But trying to find a small win, so whether it's so like going back with kicking, whether it's you know you're only working on ball drop, but just celebrate the little wins along the way. So look, I can see you're really working on that, and we're making progress. That's fantastic. Don't worry about where the ball's going. Don't worry about anything like that because we're just concentrating on your hand at the moment or your arm or something like that. So it's a really, it is a really, really difficult balancing act to find. Um, you know, positivity versus negativity and all that sort of stuff or, or trying to get players to reach out a little bit further. But if you're just honest and try and celebrate, when, when people are, strugg- are struggling, and when I say struggle, I mean, you know, really trying to grasp a concept or trying to improve and you can see, even if it's the most minute of, of improvements, celebrate that a little bit. You know, just say, look, I can see you're working so hard at that and, I, and you're getting better. I know it's taking time, but it, you'll get there. Keep working. Great, great advice. Hey, um, I've got the quick six here for you, but I might just um, just uh, a little bit of a reminder for me, but some of the questions we're getting, we've been talking about fundamentals and drills and, and, and coaching that. The AFL, Coach AFL just partnered with uh, Rookie Me on RM Coach. I'm not sure if you've seen this, but basically it's a, um, it's a platform where there's a whole heap of different training sessions, drills um, for junior youth and seniors. So if you're a, a registered coach at the, on, the, on the Coach AFL platform, um, you've got access to it, I'm pretty sure. So have a look at it. It's actually, fortunately for me, um, about a year ago, I saw the back end being developed and it's got a lot of 
um, fantastic stuff. So uh, it's not sort of plug for the um, for RM coaches, more of a fact that I think some of our coaches out there could actually use it as a tool um, with some of the stuff that we've we've, um, we've discussed tonight. So have a look at that if you get a chance. Hey, um, the quick six. Yep. Um, can you give me one book that you could recommend our coaches read right now? Uh, right now? Uh, don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. It's a book. I've, I've read it a couple of times. Uh, the, the actual title is Don't Sweat the Small Stuff because it's all small stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm as guilty as anyone in that, particularly in my early days of coaching, you know, worrying about the magnets being, you know, being centred and being the right right space apart and all that. You know what? It doesn't really matter. Get on to the stuff that actually matters. Like it. All right, <laughs> I need to read that book as well. Hey, um, is there a, a TED Talk or a YouTube clip that you have watched recently and uh, like? Recommend or YouTube clip? No, I just finished watching the 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 the, um, the Chicago Bulls, the the Last Dance. Oh yeah, fantastic! Um, I think everyone in the world's seen that. But um, yeah, look, there's there are. I'm I'm really interested in um, in learning and brain function in particular, and why why people behave in certain ways. So, um, I think I think there's a guy, uh, Daniel Pink is his name. He's got some really cool TED talks um, about you know, how people interact and, and brain function and all that sort of stuff. And I think there's some really cool stuff for, for coaches to, to take away from that sort, of, that sort of stuff. Great. Have you got a podcast that you're into at the moment or you recommend? Uh, I've missed one. Um, <laughs> I did. I actually, I, I've, got a, I've got a mate. It's a, it's a little bit different. I've got a mate who, uh, it's a podcast called Crisis Talks and it's really pertinent now. Um, he's doing a lot of stuff on um, emergency response and all that sort of stuff and, um, his name's Grant Chisnell. He's he's uh, his podcast is Crisis Talks. As I said, I actually did a did one for him the other day. Oh, um, great! Which it would have to be his highest rating, of course. But um, <laughs> it, it's 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 a different it's a different sort of aspect, and 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 you know talking to um, people in in um, emergency response and that sort of stuff on how they handle crisis and and what they go through and the decision making and whatever. So yeah, they're really Really insightful. I love it. Fantastic. One coaching point for ground balls. We've talked a lot about ground balls, but what's one <laughs> coaching point that you One want? coaching point? Uh, the one that I always go with is feet wide and bum low. Yeah, great. And um, and I know this is quick questions, but the other one is is slow down. There's no point going so fast over your ground balls if you're going to fumble them. So spend more time over the ball. The umpire's protect you. You've got plenty of opportunity to use your body. Slow down over your ground balls. I like that, man. I'll take that as your uh, number one, slow down. Good. Yeah. Um, one game you play with players uh, that's not footy. Uh, we do a we do a heap of stuff with tennis balls. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, throwing tennis balls and whacking tennis balls at each other and and that sort of stuff. Um, I just find that they're so good for reflexes and you know you can you can throw two three three balls. There's a heap of stuff and, and always pinching stuff from soccer and tennis and stuff like that but there's there's a heap of different little activities you can do with you know small sided games that you can just flick balls around everywhere and I just like to I like to stimulate the brain particularly leading into like a main training session or into games and and is uh you know everyone does physical physical warm-ups and they don't do any decision making so you think about before a game everyone goes and warms up and you do your lane work and all that sort of stuff no one makes any decisions then you go into a game, you go straight into a game and your body's warmed up, but your mind hasn't made one decision. And the game is all about decisions. So that's my, uh, that's my little yeah. thought. 
I played with a guy, Harry Taylor, who used to yeah. juggle um, in the warm-up before a game all the time. Yeah. Um, his brain uh, active, and he probably still does. Uh, last question, quick six. I've got to stop talking. What's your most important value? Uh, honesty. thought that was going to come out. <laughs> um, hey, Tux, that's all we've got time for um, yeah. tonight. It could, we could have done another hour quite easy. Thanks, to everyone, for, for tuning in and asking those questions. Mate, um, good luck in the next little while. And clearly, yeah. you know, um, spending some time with you on the phone over the last couple of weeks and also today, um, you know, this next um, period for you, but also the athletes that you're going to be coaching um, in the draft in the next sort of three, four, five years, um, I reckon they're going to get a, a pretty good, um, you know, bunch of lessons and, and experiences from you, mate. So I'm looking forward to seeing these players get drafted and and, uh, and good luck with it and hope everything goes well from here on in. Uh, anytime, mate. Really, yeah. really happy to spend some time with you. Yeah, great. And we'll definitely get you back, mate, um, <laughs> when, you, uh, when you actually get your feet under the desk. And... <laughs> no worries. How good was that? Super impressive guy. I really enjoyed that time. That chat could have gone for another hour easily. Now, uh, let's get into my three takeouts. Takeout number one, the power of language. Being a dad, Tarkin talked about how it's helped him understand that language is really critical when it comes to educating his players. He doesn't try to overcomplicate things. He just tries to keep his message nice and simple. Takeout number two, Role specificity. This comes up a few times during our chat and clearly one of Tarkin's beliefs or his philosophies in coaching is making sure that players spend enough time on the skills and scenarios that they're going to see during a game. It sounds really basic, but I could imagine it's really challenging for a coach to try and expose players to as much of the game as they can. But the reality is we're always competing against time. And it sounds like Tarkin tries to win that battle through role specificity training. Takeout number three the importance of setting a purpose. Now clearly every coach or every business leader has a purpose on what they're driving their team towards. And to great detail, sounds like Tarkin actually sets purpose or goals, and metrics, outcomes for each training session. This probably allows him to really get his players I suppose to focus in or hone in during a session on what they're trying to achieve. And then goes back to his philosophy on keeping things simple. I think it's a nice little tie in. Okay, coaches, that wraps up episode four of Max Mentors. A big thank you to Tarkin Lockyer. Fantastic interview. Loved it. Him sharing his experience, uh, and it's great to get to know him on an almost personal level when he talked about his kids and his family. The feedback we're getting from our listeners, keep sending it through, as I said at the start of the episode. We're loving it. Thanks for listening. Jump onto our website, aflmax.com.au, to see when our next live Max Mentors webinar is, and I'll see you next time. Thanks again.